almost like literally and if you're listening live and not after the fact on the Stokely and Zach podcast I think it came at I think I time stamped it like on the air it's like like 1140 something right now it's 1204 in real time um one year ago today James James Merrill from DenverSports.com filling in for Stoke today. I was coming home from getting a sandwich you were getting Jersey Mike's yep I was okay. eating before too. At that point, okay, yeah. Now you don't you you, you don't eat until two o'clock in the afternoon, which right. is one of the strangest approach to <laughs> health. Health. <laughs> <laughs> now eleven forty three. Okay, so Kister just jumped in my ear. Eleven forty three. So uh, God, I was so excited when I heard you come on the air with that. So just to just to reset, like that morning, we, we and we got to remember we waited a year. For the the 2022 offseason because Aaron Rodgers flirted with the idea of leaving Green Bay two years ago. And then he did it again, and it was like, oh, he's definitely gone this time. Yeah. And the Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett. And the Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett. So the momentum from the, the Broncos landing Aaron Rodgers, like it wasn't just us talking about it. It was on all the national shows, and I know you remember that all too well. The connection was so real. Uh, Hackett, you know, wouldn't stop being asked about it. Hackett couldn't do a immediate uh, availability without the Aaron Rodgers question. It was like you couldn't separate the two. Yeah. And that morning, 365 days ago today, Pat McAfee, right before we came on the air, broke the news that Aaron Rodgers was staying in Green Bay. So we came on the air like so deflated. And we go to commercial break, and Stokely's like, hey, j- like we're not sugarcoating it. Bad day for the Denver Broncos. And I remember the tease was, could it be a good day for someone else? And who is that someone else? Well, it turned out to be a good day for Russell no, Wilson. No, 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 no. But, but, but who did I mean in that moment? It was like, okay, Aaron Rodgers isn't coming to the Broncos. Bad day for the Broncos, but it could be a good day for someone else. At the time... The Drew Locke thing was still alive. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, sure, sure. And it was like, if it you look like they were going to get anybody else. Right. So it was like, okay, you had, what were they, 7 and 10 in that final year? So they weren't in, yep. a, they weren't in a top pick. So it was like, are they going to run it back with Drew? And we go into commercial break, and then Adam Schefter fires this tweet out of thin air. And I remember uh, 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 Richie Carney, I think at the time, was our producer. And I forget who made And Raj, uh, I think Raj like came running down the hallway type of thing and was like, oh, my God, Russell Wilson to the Broncos. And my first reaction wasn't, woohoo! It was triple check that account. Yeah. Is, is it Adarn Schefter? Yes. Or is it Adam Schefter? Because people around the country... Have been fooled, and really, you know, now we know because there's been enough of that, that trickery stuff, and people still fall for stuff. But a year ago, it was still like pe- fake Rappaport accounts, fake Schefter accounts, ball sack sports, like running fake quotes, and people <laughs> like Bleach Report actually running them. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. so. And we said triple check that account, and and I'm Richie's like, no, it's like 
It's Schefter. Like, it's Schefter. Like, the blue check, every letter checks out. This is Adam Schefter and his three million or whatever Twitter account. So we came back from the commercial break and said this. We have breaking Broncos news right now. This day is not going to finish the way that it started. Adam Schefter reporting that the Denver Broncos are acquiring Russell Wilson. Right here, right now. Russell Wilson is about to become a member of the Denver Broncos. This is not a drill. Tuesday, March 8th, should be a day that goes down in all-time Denver Broncos history. Right now, off the presses, Adam Schefter tweeting at 11.43 a.m., quote, Denver acquiring Russell Wilson has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers' decision to return to Green Bay. Denver General Manager George Payton initiated trade talks with Seattle for Wilson at least two weeks ago per sources. The trade gives Denver the quarterback it sought since Peyton Manning retired and gives Seattle a foundation on which to rebuild without a quarterback who led the Seahawks to their only Super Bowl title. This is a blockbuster deal that is coming out within the last three to four minutes. And that was the that was the minute, the first minute, 12 seconds of coming out of commercial break when we thought everything was all the sins get washed away from the past. And it's funny to hear, like, Schefter's framing yeah. of the deal. This wasn't because they didn't get Aaron Rodgers. No. Sure. <laughs> and and so This was their plan all along. <laughs> but it was also, hey, this gives the Seahawks ammunition to rebuild without a quarterback. Yeah. And this gives the Broncos the quarterback they've been looking for since Peyton. Russell Wilson goes on to throw 16 total touchdowns. Yep. Seattle, in their rebuild, Starts Geno Smith, who at the time, remember, they're going to have an open competition between he and Drew Locke. It was down to the final preseason game. Down to the final preseason game. Geno Smith wins the job, and instead of Seattle rebuilding, they won double digit games, go to the playoffs. Geno Smith breaks all the Russell Wilson's record uh, records. Uh, I think he led the league in completion percentage, and the Broncos went five and twelve. Yep. And here's what I'm going to say about it. At the end of the 2017 season, people would have said Bradley Chubb was a better draft pick than Josh Allen. They would have. He had a great rookie year. Thousand percent. So I'm not saying what we saw doesn't matter because it does. I'm just saying it's the first chapter in the book. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't make a you can't write your review at this point. Now you can say, hey, I think this thing's going to be a stinker. I think this thing is heading in the wrong direction, but. It's not definitive yet. Would it shock me if Geno Smith comes crashing back down to earth and is the same player who washed out in New York and other places, and Russell Wilson, now that he has Sean Payton, the coach he always wanted, turns back into the guy that he was for a decade prior to last year? That would not shock me at all. In fact, I think those two things are more probable to happen than not probable to happen. I'm not saying it's 90-10, but I think it's 65-35. I think there's probably a two-thirds chance, roughly, that Russell Wilson rebounds and Geno Smith comes crashing back down to earth. Well, uh, it's look, the, the way that you just frame that is based on a lot of facts. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we'll start with the Geno one. Like, what's more likely, that Geno comes crashing back down to earth or he duplicates his season where he threw? I mean, Geno Smith was, like, top five in every statistical category. But it has me rethinking 
how I've always thought about Pete Carroll. It's like how much of Russell's existence in Seattle was a Pete Carroll creation. And I'm not saying that to reduce Russell down. Russell's the one out there making the plays. Russell, Russell put together a Hall of Fame career. I actually wonder if he can't figure it out this year, if he's playing himself out of it. Different question for, for a different conversation. But it has me, when I saw Pete Carroll do that with Geno Smith, no one could figure out Geno Smith. He's been in the league forever. And he did it to such a degree that it's like, okay, I know Russell was great in Seattle, but just how great is Russell? Just how great is Bill Belichick without Tom Brady? Yeah. And like that's aging so poorly in New England where Brady gets to validate his existence in year one. Russell's first opportunity in year one was such a disaster. It just has me rethinking everything about Russell. But but going back to what's more probable, what's likely to, to, to um, the way that you shaped it, it could the, the most likely result is probably somewhere in between. I don't know if we'll see Seattle Russ. I mean, Seattle Russ was throwing 35, 40 touchdowns. Are we going to see that again? My guess would be no, but is it going to be this bad? 16 touchdowns? I, I, I find that hard to believe too because that it's just it was such a departure from what we saw for a decade. I think the guy we saw in the last two games of the season looked an awful lot like the guy we saw at the end of 2021 with Seattle when the finger had totally healed. When he first came back from the finger injury, he wasn't right. He wasn't the same guy. But at the end of that year, he was pretty good. He was pretty darn good. I watched him in person against San Francisco that year up in Seattle, and it was a great game. It was like a 34-31 game yeah. down to the last drive. Yep. Like he, he could have had two more touchdowns. Gerald Everett dropped one at the end zone, and it bounced up and turned into a pick and fumbled one at the goal line. That, so that's two more drives. Like, they should have had 40 pushing a 50-burger against San Francisco, a very good defensive team. I think what we saw in the last two games was closer to that. I don't think you forget how to play football in six months. I just don't think you do. Why did it look like it at times? I think there's a couple of reasons. And I'm going to start with what was on Russ, what was Russ's fault. I think he got away from Seattle and wanted to prove that he could be Drew Brees. A, a thousand percent. If you follow the clues, that that's not a yeah, hot take. It's not. That's what he wanted to do. Yeah. And he wanted to be a pocket passer, and so he bulked up and tried to be that guy, and he was going to stand in there and come hell or high water, I'm going to stand in here and throw the ball to the and not run and not take off and not make plays with my feet. And so you weren't being yourself. And anybody who's played any sport or done any job where you're doing something that's like, well, that's not me. Right. That's just not how I play. That's mm-hmm. not how I I'm trying to be something I'm not. It's not going to work. It's just not. You got to be. You got to be true to yourself. I think that was part of it. I think the most complicated offense ever assembled is which is how they described it when we're met, met, mashing up what Nathaniel Hackett likes to do and what Russell Wilson likes to do. I think their intent was good. I don't think they went into it with you know nefarious means. I think both people were like, "Hey, you got a lot of good ideas. I got a lot of good ideas. Let's put them together." Sometimes you can open that box on. That basket on chopped, and it's a bunch of stuff. It, it ain't going to go together. Yeah. It's just a bad recipe. Yeah. And I think when you're back there, and this seems weird, because there, there were two moments in the season where it's like, what on earth is he doing? It was the fourth and one at the six-yard line in overtime against Indianapolis when Nathaniel Hackett doesn't kick the tying field goal. He goes for it, and K.J. Hamler is wide open. Wide open. And he doesn't see him for – he would have walked in for a touchdown. K.J. throws his helmet. He's frustrated. And there was a couple of plays before that that were even bigger eyesores for me where they threw it um, uh, from 
God, the six with under two minutes left when the Colts didn't have a timeout and he threw the interception. Oh, those plays were, yeah, previous it, drives were ridiculous. It, it, it was it was what I equated to is, you know, the, the dad who happens to be the high school coach and his son's a quarterback, yeah. and we're getting that kid's name in the paper the next day. And you can blame both of them for that. Nathaniel yeah. Hackett's still the boss. Yeah. And so totally. that's on him. Totally. you got to lead in a game that you just can't afford to give away. Take the ugly win and hit hit the reset button and, after the after the mini buy. Right. It was a Thursday night. It was a Thursday night game, good memory, but where the Colts, like, they had to travel, and it's like it, the, the fact that they lost that game is is remarkable. But to, to your point earlier when, um, and, and I don't mean to interrupt because I don't want you to lose your train of thought, but when you said there was a concerted effort for Russell to stay in the pocket and be that pocket passer, not to disagree with you at all, but just to supplement what you were saying, in the first game of the year against Seattle, he ran for two yards. In the second game, he ran for three yards. It is the least amount of rushing yards yeah. over a two-game span outside of a same two-game span where he sprained an MCL and just was playing through it. Brock Hewitt helped us out with that one. He's like, don't count that. He, but So basically, as healthy, the lowest rushing total over any two-game span of his career. Well, and not shocking. He goes up to Seattle in the opener and is, I'm going to show you. Yep. Look at what I can do. Yep. And he threw, and he threw for, for 340. 340. It was the third highest yeah. in the league after Mahomes and Allen start to the season. He had a good. He had a pretty good night that night. It was in... It was like, man, how'd they only score 16 points? Well, they fumbled twice at the goal line. Right. First time since the replacement games in 87. Correct. So it was, it was the pass to K.J. Hamler, and then I think it was the Chargers game. It was either Chargers or Raiders on the road, where he has Greg Dulcich right in the middle of the field, like yeah. right in front of him. That was painful. And he doesn't see him for an easy first down. We're yeah. like, what are you doing? Dulcich just squatting down like, hey, yeah. right here, 6'5". Yeah. But he, I, my... Explanation for it, and it's not an excuse. I, I really do think it's an explanation. And anybody who's played that position at, at any level, I don't care if you're just going out and playing seven on seven mm-hmm. flag. Yep. If you don't know where people are going to be, and there got and there's a pass rush, and you're not just standing back there playing at training camp where you can look around and you have no fear of getting hit, but you got grown, you know what men coming at you trying to hit you, and you have no idea what you're going to see when you get back there you end up missing something that is obvious right in front of you. Have you ever seen that that test where they have people watch a bas- watch these people practice in basketball and they say, hey, count the number of passes between these two people. And they're you know, going back and forth, right? They watch it for 30 seconds. And then they say, how many was it? Like, 24. Everybody's got the answer. And they're like, well, did, did you happen to see anything else strange? They're like, no, nothing else. Are you sure? No. And they're like, you didn't see the guy in the gorilla suit come running across the screen? Nobody sees it. Then they rewatch it, looking for the guy in the gorilla suit, and it's plain as day because they're focused on the wrong thing. And I think that's a lot of what was going on with Russell Wilson, of when you're focused on, oh, my God, how's my protection going to be? I got to stand in the pocket and make this play. I, where are my receivers going to be? I'm never quite sure. You miss obvious things that are plain as day to everybody else who's watching it. Because if I didn't tell you to count the passes, you'd have seen the guy in the gorilla suit without a, without a, missing a beat. That's, I think, what was going on. So it's a, it's a combination of things that made it just to where it looked awful. And it did. But we saw in the last two games, small sample size, where he looked a lot like he did at the end of 2021 in Seattle. And I think that's the guy we're going to get. Because it's he's I don't think he's stubborn to a fault where he's going to say, it, nope, I'm going to be a pocket passer. And, he, and he, he can't. There's no room for that anymore. And we saw an indication of that in the last two games yeah. of the season when they took everything away and he acquiesced. This is even, I think, to a further degree with Sean Payton of like, this, it, it is, you are a you are going back to a soldier. 
and he's the general. And whatever, if he says jump, you say how high, and that is actually what's best for Russell. But he was willing to give up his office, all that nonsense. Yep. But in a game that meant nothing, and he'd, he'd been banged up to whatever degree all year, Yep. he's out there running read options for 20-yard touchdowns against Kansas City. That tells me he's a guy that's willing to do what they ask him to do. Yep, whatever it takes. And that's, that, that's, that's uh, it's almost recentering yourself. Like, what? Yeah. What what matters the most? And when you have you can you can worry about like lofty goals when like the base of your pyramid is so established, but when you take away that base on which everything else is predicated on, you can no longer worry about Wednesday when it's Monday. Like it's got to be you got to be be where your feet are and just be in the moment and Russell has always been about winning and then I think he shifted his focus. And if you're just joining us by the way, we're talking about this because 1 year ago today the announcement was made that Russell Wilson was was heading to Denver March 8, 2022. So I think that it, I'm here's what I'm hoping and I'm hoping you're right because you have been more bullish on Russell's rebound than um say me or Stokely, but what I'm hoping is the most humbling experience maybe of his entire life recenters him and simplifies him and reminds him the point is actually to just to finish with more points than the opposition when the clock hits zero. No doubt. And if you do that, you're going to get a lot of attention no matter how. It doesn't matter if you're throwing for 300 yards. You're going to get a lot of attention because you're winning. And you're going to make some plays along the way to help to the wins, and you're going to look up at the end of the year and go, man, I had pretty darn good stats. Yeah. So I think Russ bit off more than he could chew last year. Yes, yes, a thousand. And you could, you might be able to reduce everything in twenty twenty two down to that statement. And I, and and the Broncos let him chew it though. They did. They, they did. They 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 were they were moving his jaw with him like you know, to start the process. But if he hadn't done it, he would have always thought, "I want to, I I want to go do more. I want to go do more." It's like when you see a comedian right who's just had hit after hit after hit movie. And like, all right, I'm kind of bored with rolling out, you know, movies that make $250 million. I want to be a serious actor. Yeah. I want to be, I want to win an Oscar. Yeah. They go try it. They're terrible at it. Okay. Well, you have one of two decisions. Do you keep insisting you're a, you're a serious actor? Yeah. Or do you just go back to making hits that everybody loves and make a ton of money? Yeah. Uh, there's nothing wrong with venturing over there and trying it. That's what we all should do. We all should try to yes. push ourselves a and, little and bit. And grow. Yeah. And the, the fault comes when you see, Glaring evidence. It's the best thing that happened to the Broncos last year. Is they weren't eight and nine, and it wasn't. Right. Uh, I'm not it, sure. There was it was no definitive. Tease. Yeah, you it was were definitive. Five and twelve. Yeah, they were terrible. He was awful doing that. Okay, then you come back and get back in your comfort zone and in your wheelhouse and stick to it. That's okay. That's okay. Now, if he doesn't, if he tr- tries to still be a pocket passer and you know won't do things and, and you know has to have it his way, then it's completely on Russ at that point, and it ain't ever going to work. But I have I have faith, and I'm putting a lot of stock in those last two games. I have faith that he the light bulb went on, and he's going to go back to being his old his old self. Yep, uh, I I am, uh, and I know you are too. But my if if I'm crafting an optimism uh, uh, picture here, an optimistic picture, I'm taking the last two games, and I'm syncing it up with what I saw for a decade. Yeah, like exactly. what we saw for a decade was it was special, and and that's why leading up to the point where leading up to March 8th, 2022, when we'd have these conversations because we knew Russ could be on the move the previous year when he went on a Super Bowl media tour. It was kind of complaining about his situation in Seattle. He was sacked so much, kind of threw his old line underneath the bus. Yeah. At that point, we didn't realize that he had stomped out of meetings with Pete Carroll and stuff. But the idea of him becoming available, or Owen Cecil Lammy, I remember at a war room, he's like, 
keep your eye on Russell Wilson. My people tell me he's going to become available. It was unrealistic, but I remember saying, hey, why are we talking about Rodgers just being the 1A? Why not Russell? He's way younger. Why? But we kind of removed him because we thought that it was just unrealistic. That's why we dwelt yeah. so much on Rodgers. Like, you're not going to trade a franchise quarterback in his prime. With no, with no solution in place. It's not like... They were the Packers with Brett Favre and had Aaron Rodgers sitting there. Yeah, or Jordan, or even the selection of Jordan Love that, like, there's right. a person going to— There's a plan. Th- there's a plan. I, Seattle I, didn't have that plan. I guess here's what I would just say to Broncos country who feels bad about it a year later. And I get it. But what is more likely to happen? That Russell Wilson turns back into the guy he was 14, 15 months ago, however long ago it was, based on what we saw the last two games. What, is that more likely? Is it more likely that Geno Smith— replicates the one good year he's had? Is it more likely that Anthony Richardson turns into a superstar? Is it more likely that Aaron Rodgers goes to New York and, you know, has a rebirth? Like, if you put all the options on there of what the Broncos could have at quarterback, the Drew Locke would have been great with Nathaniel Hackett, whatever, whatever option you want. To me, the best option still is that Russell Wilson, the light bulb went on, he figures it out, and he goes back to being the guy he used to be. I hope you're right. I think that's the best option. I want you to think, we're not going to have this conversation right this second, but I want you to think about something, and I want our audience to think about this as well. How did you define success in Denver under Russell Wilson one year ago? And how is it now defined moving forward, given what we saw this past year? Is it the same? Is it different? Is there somewhere in between? We'll circle back to that conversation a little bit later in the show. But in the meantime, there is an important and rather secret meeting happening tonight that could impact the future of something we're all very curious about. Hang tight. We'll dive into it next. and rather secretive meeting happening tonight that could impact the future on something that I know I'm very curious about. I think you're very curious about. Extremely. You make it sound like it's the Illuminati or something that's meeting tonight. Maybe it is. Maybe they're meeting too. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, James Merrillat from DenverSports.com. CU has a closed-door meeting tonight that could impact their future in the Pac-12. And I think the main ingredient to this conversation, whether sports fans want to um, hear this or not, so much of conference realignment in general, but but CU's future specifically, boils down to television rights. And just exactly, and I think people, the general public, myself included, are just learning in the last few years what these schools are getting kicked back to them by simply being in the right league with the right TV deal. Yeah. And it is a lot of money. It's big time money. And that may bother you if you're a CU fan that, ah, oh, they may move and they, they left. They broke up the old Big 12 because of better TV deal or whatever, Pac-12. Okay, I can see that. But it's also the only reason prior to Prime getting hired that Colorado was ever in any conversation of when college football changes – that they'll be a part of the mix, it's because they're directly tied to a top 20 TV market. That's right. That was it. That's right. 
So, okay, I'll take that good with the bad of, yeah, I don't like the fact that I don't know who's in any conference anymore and that West Coast teams are in some version of the Big East. And like, what is going on here? It's impossible. I I watch these conference tournaments in basketball. Yeah. And at least once or twice watches, I'm like, really? That's where they're at now? Mm -hmm. Like, you just... It's hard to track across the, the board, and it's going to get even harder. I mean, it's it's no doubt, and that's not to say anyone's to blame. I mean, and look, Denver, DU, their lacrosse programs in the Big East. There you go, based out of Denver, Colorado. Prime I did an example. I did a game against Georgetown. Prime example. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> like you're trying to get in where you fit in. Yeah, and so that part of it is, uh, you know, okay, that's that. I don't like I don't like all the movement. But it's oh, live with reality. Yeah. And see you. You got to try and keep up with the Joneses. You made that move to hire Prime, change your recruiting restrictions, make it to where you're playing on an even playing field with everybody else yep. for the most part. Yep. Okay. Then you got to, you got to be, you have to decide to be one of the big boys or not. And that was sort of my issue as a CU fan of don't be Vanderbilt. Don't be the team that's just going to take the, hey, I get my portion of being in the SEC, the money, mm-hmm. and then we're just going to be, you know, the Washington Generals to all these teams in this conference and get our teeth kicked in all the time. If you're going to be in it and you're going to take the money, go try and compete. That's what they're doing. But now they're in this, the spot where, well, if you're going to compete with SEC teams, Big Ten teams, you got to be getting TV money that is at least somewhat close because you ain't getting it from donors like they are at Alabama no, or Clemson no, or Michigan or no. Ohio State. So your TV deal better be good. So uh, I may not like it, but I get it, and they're doing the right thing if they chase the money. They are. Well, the Big 12 has already reportedly reached out to four teams from the Pac-12. It's CU, it's Arizona, it's Arizona State, and it's Utah. What they call the, the four corner schools, yep. right? The Big 10 and SEC has already agreed to massive contracts. The Big Ten is with CBS and Fox and NBC. The SEC is with ABC and ESPN. They've already agreed. These deals are done. They have, their, they have secured their rights through the 2030s. Think about that. Big Ten and SEC, it's done through the 2030s. We just got in the 2020s, like, for all intents and purposes, when you're talking about extrapolating that far, like, this is, this is a long way out. The ACC is locked into an exclusive contract with ESPN through 2036. Why am I saying all this? It's because the Pac-12 still doesn't have a deal. They entered the market first um, compared to the Big 12. And the Big 12, they negotiated their deal early, allowing them to jump the Pac-12 and come to an agreement that solidifies their media rights through 2031. So here the Pac-12 is kind of like, I don't say like, in, in this this sort of vague in between, like who's your TV deal, and then it's then it's like, wait, is it going to be like on a streaming service? Could it be on Apple TV? Like these are some of the rumors. And let me tell you the difference. And this 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 could sum up like why these schools are doing what they're doing. The two schools that are leaving the Pac-12, USC and UCLA, James, they're going to make at least thirty million more dollars every single year by joining the Big Ten. Which I get it. I understand it. And that's a lot of money. That's a lot of, that's a big difference you got to make up in donations and, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. That's tough. That's an impossible difference to make up in in that way. Yeah. So I I guess as I look at the situation though, when I, if you're comparing Pac-12 or Big 12, 
are you jumping out of one boat with a hole in it to get into another boat with a hole in it? Like, does the Big 12 really seem, and I know they're in a better position for TV rights in terms of who goes first. But if you start looking at who's fleeing that conference and who's left, like, are you really getting into a better boat? And, and the reason I say that is I know UCLA and USC left and you lost the LA market. But if you start looking at the big, uh, at the Pac-12, you still have Seattle, you still have Denver, you still have Phoenix. If you add SMU and San Diego State, you got Southern California. San Diego, I think, is like the eighth biggest city in the country. You got that market. San Diego is? Somebody, I read that somewhere. I'll, I'll, I'll double check. Yeah, triple check it's that a, one. You got Southern California. You got San Francisco, which is the top five market with Stanford and with Cal. You'd have Dallas, which is the top ten market. You can't tell me that combination isn't better than mm. Iowa State and Kansas and whoever's left. I don't even know who's left in that conference. How is that a better footprint to go get a TV deal than what you could have with the Pac-12 if you just replaced UCLA and USC with SMU and San Diego State? And you're going to tell me San Diego San Diego's like 28. Whatever. It's still a it's still a Southern California market. It's still a relatively big market. And Dallas is top 10. You got a bunch of top 20 markets in there. If they can't negotiate a good TV deal, then the Pac-12 commissioner should be ousted. But here's the other thing. I do think this is going to set up eventually. SEC is going to be 16 teams. Big Ten is going to be 16 teams. And there are going to be 16 teams essentially west of the Mississippi. I feel like you're in a better spot to make that the Pac-12 and be a part of that. And then you look at the regionality of it, right? Like, what? what? East of the Mississippi, the northern half is Big Ten. 10, southern half is SEC, and then everything west of the Mississippi's Pac-12. Just being that. I don't know why this is so hard to figure out. So so as a CU guy, no, by the way, a little house cleaning here, there's no house cleaning. San Diego is the eighth most populated city in the United States. That surprised the hell out of me um, because... It surprises me, actually. When you called me on I'm like... How do you not have an NBA team? How do you not have a football team? How do you not have a hockey team? They have the Padres. They have the Padres. That's it. Wow. No, it's 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 shocking. But okay, so those markets. So Dallas is what fifth, sixth, seventh. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you, you you could add two top ten markets. You lost L.A., which I know is number two, but it's kind of a crappy sports market anyway. And both the teams were from one market. So if you can give me eight and five as opposed to two. So, okay. so, so as a CU guy, here's my question. As a CU guy, you're a graduate of CU. You, you hope what's best for the program uh, in all things. Would you rather see them just stay in the Pac-12? You yes. Don't, you don't want to see them move. I liked the switch. Okay. I like playing Arizona and Arizona State and Oregon and Washington. I like looking at the schedules, and even though I don't go, making my hypothetical road trips in my head <laughs> as opposed okay. to Ames and, you know, yeah. Stillwater and places like that. Um, so, yeah, I'd prefer they just stay. I think it's trying to live in the past, and it's the past is gone. It's Texas isn't there, Nebraska's not there. Is Oklahoma staying, or they're they're bailing? Like I can't keep yeah, track. Yeah, 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 they're bailing too. It's Oklahoma and Texas are leaving. Correct. So, so what is the conference once those two teams leave? Like, what are you joining? I think it's, you're. Uh, it's TCU. It's Kansas State. I'm out. You're, um, you're getting out of a leaky Texas boat Tech to get Oklahoma into State. the Titanic. I don't know. No, I, well, no, I think the Big 12 is a better sports conference in general than the Pac-12, especially when USC and UCLA leave. Basketball-wise, it's number one right now. I it's, don't, it's, it's the best. And then when you think about football, you're still talking about um, West Virginia, o- or no, not uh, Baylor, uh, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, 
TCU, who was just in the playoff. Arizona's a good basketball team. UCLA's number two in the country, although they're leaving. Um, I mean, you're probably right. I think it's a tick ahead. I think it's a tick ahead. You're probably right in terms of basketball, especially once the landscape changes. I just, to me, the Big 12 has been the conference that everybody thought was going to go away for a decade, and they're still alive. They're, They're on life support. And by the way, just more house cleaning. The Big 12 is adding Cincinnati, the Bearcats. They're adding Yawn. BYU. And they're adding uh, Houston. And, okay, and Houston's Central really good in basketball. Really good. But that is, and maybe this is just the old wish it was the way it used to be part of me coming out. But that is such a hodgepodge. Yeah, it is. It is. Like, I'm not going to tell you it's not. I mean, so, so is, so like, Maryland's in the Big 10. Right? I know. It's I like, know. And, and Rutgers and the teams that nobody cares about that are in there, but they just have them for the New Jersey market, yeah. the, the Baltimore and D.C. Yeah. markets. And, and they're in it because of the TV deal. Just add San Diego State and SMU and call it good. I'll say this. If they stay in the Pac-12, if CU stays in the Pac-12, that's your quickest path to being in the college football playoff, especially once they expand. Yeah, and then that's two more places I'd want to go. Who doesn't want to go to San Diego and to Dallas? I want to go to both. Be fun. So, all right. Uh, good conversation there. We'll see. I have a feeling there's going to be some news leaking out of this meeting later tonight. I'm so, going to take the fact that you mentioned that they were the eighth most popular. San Diego was the eighth most populated city in the country as semi-apology. No, it's because you gave me a dirty look like, I can't believe I, you just said that I in the microphone. It and then circled back and told you you were right. That and was your no, way of, that and was, no one likes being right more than that you. That was your way of apologizing. Anyone I've ever met. So apologies. You'd accepted. rather watch things burn and be right <laughs> than, than keep them standing and be wrong. Okay. Um, is there a potential for a bad tone to be set from new Broncos ownership to this fan base over the next three weeks? Hang tight. That's next. Stokely and Zach on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Is there a potential... For a bad tone to be set from the new Broncos ownership group, the Walton Penner Family Ownership Group. The WP Fog. I call them the Whip Bog. That works too. The Walton Penner Family Ownership Group. Is there potential for a bad tone to be set over the next three weeks? This was a thought that you've been kicking around here for the last 24, 48 hours. James Merrillat from DenverSports.com filling in for Stoke today. Uh, explain your your thinking here. Yeah, I mean it's a uh, you know you you've heard these comments and we heard it a lot during the coaching search of why it's not a good job is how oh, they the Broncos don't have a lot of cap space and to me that's people laying the groundwork for the Broncos not spending a lot of money in free agency starting with Draymond Jones. We had Mike Kliss on last week when Will and I were sitting in for you guys. And he said, they're not going to overspend for Draymond. They're not going to overspend for Dalton Reiser. They're not going to overspend for Alex Singleton. They're going to look for another Alex Singleton one-year, $1 million type deal. And it just it was alarm bells to me. It's like, okay, attention Walmart shoppers. It, we're we're going to go bargain hunting. And look, Alex Singleton was a good bargain. You need some of those. But if this is a team that ends up and goes into the season $15, 20000000 under the cap. Yeah. 
or they don't restructure guys that they could restructure by writing them checks and changing salary into signing bonuses and creating some more space and going out there and making every possible move you can to make Sean Payton's first season a success, to get back into the playoffs, to break this streak that is second only to the Jets. The Jets are out trying to get Aaron Rodgers, and the Broncos are going to sit on their hands and look for Alex Singleton 2.0. That's telling. That's sending a message to the fan base that we're not in it to win it. We're in it to be fiscally responsible and frugal and win, win on a budget. I don't want to win on a budget. Now, don't do things that are stupid and put you in a position where you have salary cap issues down the road. Right. But to me, a reasonable request for any ownership group, including Dick Montfort, which is why I've defended him in recent years, is to spend every dollar you can possibly spend to win that year and make your team as competitive that year. It ain't, I ain't about five-year plans. Five-year plans are a way to kick the can down the road and, like, who's going to remember it five years from now? So who, what are you doing to win now? Yeah, and, and I, I don't think in the NFL you can have a five-year plan. No. I mean, if you have a five-year plan, you, you, you're not going to see the end of five years on whatever contract you're on, whether you're a general manager, coach, or, or quarterback for that matter. Um, I appreciate the thought, that's for sure. So basically, the, 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 the crux of your, your um, fe- fear or, or trepidation is that the Broncos will go cheap. Yeah, and they've been under the cap significantly every year since Peyton Manning retired, since they won the Super Bowl. And if you look at their history before they signed Peyton Manning, it was a lot of the same thing. Even yeah. There was that one uncapped year, remember that, back coming out of a lockout or whatever? Yes, yes. And they were so far below the cap. So really for 15 years, other than the four-year Peyton Manning window, it's a team that's been relatively cheap. And we've heard nonsense like, well, so yeah, why do you think that is? I, I think a lot of it was at the beginning, in the new rules of it, it's cash is king. And Pat Bolin, he, he was worth a lot of money, but it was tied up in the value of that franchise. That's right. It wasn't, hey, he's just got you know a ton of money in other places that he can write checks and, and beat people out with signing bonuses. And that's how a lot of teams early on when free agency became a thing was we'll just give you a bigger signing bonus, more money now than everybody else. Right. It's the guaranteed money part of it. You got to put it in escrow. You got to write a big check. That's right. That's tough to do. I had someone within the Broncos, and and I I figured you would answer it like that, and I think you're spot on to why the Broncos, especially, um, I don't know, 10 years ago or or, uh, from whatever year to very recently where the NFL started to just rake in money. Yeah. Someone told me, Within the Broncos, and you probably know this to be true, I know you worked over there for a little bit, that Pat Bowen and the Denver Broncos had to take out a loan for a $2 million signing bonus. Not in 1990. This was in the 2000s and in actually the mid-2000s. Right. So, the, like, it was worth a ton of money, but the other part of this is is the timing of it, right? Like, free agency starts right now. You start or next week. Yeah, one you, week from today. You start writing checks. Season ticket renewals, and I don't know if they're, I think they're still this way, are later in March. You can pay half of it in March, and you can pay half of it in June. At least that's how it used to be. So the cash doesn't come in. So that $2 million loan might have been for two weeks. Right. But you still needed to have the cash to right. write the check for the signing bonus. Right. That's how how strapped they were. Yeah. They made money, but cash flow is different than turning a profit. And they had cash flow issues. So I, I think that was part of it. And then I think in recent years, it's been... And this is not a knock on Joe Ellis. I know he's right up there with Russell Wilson. He's the guy everybody likes to throw jabs at. But when you're in his position, it ain't your money. If I'm the owner, I can decide to overspend. If I'm 
running it in place of that person and I have a fiduciary responsibility, I don't have that option. I got to I got to operate at a certain level and so they couldn't overstep their bounds. Jerry Jones can decide to leverage himself if he wants to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Joe Ellis didn't have that choice. He didn't have that option. So now that should change. You have a team that is owned by somebody who has unlimited funds. For they, all intents and purposes, that's exactly what it is. They can outspend anyone yep. and everyone. They're, they make they ha, they're worth more than every other NFL owner combined. Think about that. Where the, so the, the yeah the 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 gap between them and David Tepper, the gap is as much as every other owner combined, let alone combining them. I mean, it's it's the, they're the richest owners in the history of the richest league we've ever seen in American sports. Yeah. So the money is no object. Um, and it's their money. If they want to, if they want to be in the red and overspend, who cares? Yeah, that's their choice. They have no fiduciary responsibility. And we see owners do that in sports. We see it overseas with soccer. We see it yep. with the New York Mets. Yep. Steve Cohen, like I don't give a damn. I'm in it to win it. Yep. I bought this team to win, not to have a team that's winning 82 games. You know who else is like that? Is the Golden State Warriors, who over the last few years, like yep. Max Deal, Max Deal, Max Deal. Like they just they're they are in it to win it and their and their tax bill comes and it's like seventy million dollars and they don't care they don't care they don't bat an eye so that's why I look at it and say well the Broncos now the excuses or reasons I mean some of them I think were valid reasons like yeah. I don't expect Pat Bowen to spend money he doesn't have right 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 I don't expect Joe Ellis to you know break his fiduciary responsibility mm-hmm. but those things are gone now those restrictions are gone you should be able to spend money. That doesn't, again, put you in a bad spot three or four or five years from now. Yeah, you don't want that, but you got to find that intersection. And it, to me, if they're once again going to the season, $12 million b- below the cap, and I heard somebody, and I won't use his name, but tried to explain that away to me of, wow, they, you know, they got to leave some room for, you know, in case guys go on an injured reserve and they got to sign some guys. How many guys are you going to have to sign that you need $12 million in cap space? For injuries, they had a ton of injuries this past year. They didn't sign guys that counted twelve million dollars no, worth the cow. No, no, like don't insult my intelligence. I can add. So, all those excuses should be gone. If they're below the salary cap by a big amount, it tells me they're not in it to win it. Do and we, that's alarming. Do we have any clues one way or the other? Do you think? Yeah, I think we have clues that they're going to spend. They spent money on Sean Payton. They, they did. spent money on Russell Wilson. They did. We don't have a lot of. I don't buy the clue of, oh, he spent $400,000 on a field for one game. I think that's a bunch of nonsense. I don't think he had a choice. But we don't have any clues of him being cheap. So maybe I'm just scarred by what has really been a 15-year problem here in Denver. Yep. Maybe. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking out past relationships on the new person I'm dating and Greg Penner. But I just want to see it. I want to see evidence that they're going to spend – and what I've heard and what they're doing with Draymond Jones and what they're doing with Dalton Reisner just makes me think, okay, I'm worried. I'm worried about it. And it would definitely start things off on a bad foot. This is their first offseason. This is their first true offseason. And I think it, it very much, I know, I know you agree with this, by the way, you answered that question. Like, we are still in a gathering information period about yeah. the Broncos' new ownership. But I think this offseason will set a tone one way or the other and we will we will start to learn by their actions who uh, did, did they sit through those games they sat through last year and there's two reactions to that it's by gosh I'm going to spend every dollar I have to spend so I don't spend 17 Sundays like this next year or is it you know what go make this thing profitable 
I'm going to go play Pebble on Sundays this year. Either option, if you're that guy and you're worth that kind of money, you could talk yourself either into either one of those. If you're a Broncos fan, you better hope it's that ticked him off and he ain't spending 17 more Sundays watching 12-9 games. I know that was a Thursday, but you know what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully that's the case uh, as, as we uh, continue to learn about the Walton Penner family ownership. What you call it? The whip fog? The, the whip fog. That's better. Uh, James Marillat from DenverSports.com filling in for Brandon Stokely today. If Russell Wilson and the Broncos don't figure it out this year, could there be another factor that will make it sting even more? That's next.